The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Thank you to Ashley and to all those that led worship today. Um, it's been good today to sing to our God, to sing the particular lyrics and respond to his faithfulness to us. There's been that common theme throughout the music today is... Um, just suffering and then his faithfulness in the midst of this. And this introduces us into our this two week series. Now, I don't know if this series is going to be these next two consecutive Sunday mornings or if it will be today, tonight and next Sunday morning. Uh, don't exactly know yet. I'm committed to uh, cut it off wherever the Holy Spirit leads to cut it off today. And then that will determine what we do tonight. But uh We'll see. If you have a Bible, open this morning to Psalm chapter 66. Psalm 66. And this is where I started with. But while you're turning there, let me just ask you, have you ever been in a place where things just weren't right? That, yeah, that happened to me this week. Uh, I was in the gym and uh, I had been working out. I had been on the elliptical machine and I'd been on the elliptical machine for about half an hour at a good pace, running as fast as I could on that thing. And I and I got off to go get some water and uh, and to go wipe my face off. And so I, I get off and I'm kind of delirious anyway from, you know, lack of oxygen, I guess. And so I go and I, I open the door to the bathroom and I take two steps in and there's this blonde headed woman in the bathroom. And um, I guess I was high from lack of oxygen. I just kept walking in. And it took me about two steps to realize either I'm in the wrong place or she is. And I stepped back and I looked at the door and the door said men's. And it was about that time that I realized that she was the cleaning lady and uh, she was in there cleaning the restroom. But something just didn't feel right, didn't appear to be right. And uh, that's what largely some of you are experiencing in your own lives. It may not be a blonde in the men's restroom, but it may be something just as or or just even more serious than that, way more serious than that. uh, Something that you're encountering in your life that just isn't right, just shouldn't be. I mean, it just shouldn't be this way. uh, As I prepared for this, what has led us to this particular series in the midst of finishing up Mark has been looking at the lives of Peter and the other disciples, as they have, as they have betrayed and, and walked away and denied Jesus, um, looking at the life of Judas, who just betrayed Jesus and sold him out and, and uh, led them to take him away to be crucified. And, and I couldn't help but to think as I was going through that, I couldn't help but to think about failures in my own life, suffering that has come in my own life, and how God's been faithful through everything. And I want to take these two weeks and I want to just dive a little deeper into this subject and look at our God being faithful in the midst of our failures, in the midst of sufferings that have nothing to do with our failures, just things that have happened to us. We've been victims, if you will, on the road of life and something has ran us over. And I started to think about this congregation, those of you who are sitting in this congregation And I thought that in this very room, on any given Sunday, there are those of you who have recently lost loved ones. And you're struggling to cope with 
with getting over that and moving on and not forgetting the person, but getting back to life. I thought about there are people in this very room who right now have been diagnosed with cancer or with some other serious illness. Uh, there are people in this very room that are struggling with the, the devastating consequences and the strong grip of addictions across this room. There, there are people that sit in this congregation who uh, are, are struggling with addiction to alcohol or, or drugs or pornography or, or food or whatever the case may be. Uh, all across this room, there have been some that have been bold enough and daring enough to come out and admit those and admit their struggle. But there's a lot of people in this room that are hiding behind that and pretending that it's not going on and not letting anyone in. And what you need today to see is that our God is faithful and that you're not alone. And God wants to take you from where you are to becoming like Christ there are people in this very room that today are trying to hold desperately to their marriage. Maybe one spouse is, is walking away and the other is trying desperately to hold on, trying to grasp for the marriage and hold on to it. And in this very room, you're dealing with that today. There are people in this room today that you are dealing with prodigal children. Children who have walked away, who are living wayward lives. That are off in things that you never dreamed that they would go off into. I'm raising my children now and I've got a 13 year old and an 11 year old. And I pray that they never go wayward. But I know what it's like because my sister has been wayward for uh, most of her life. And some of you are dealing with that. Some of you are, are children of parents who have gone prodigal. And you've got parents that are going off into all sorts of selfish behavior. And choosing lifestyles and making choices and decisions that are just extremely hurtful to you and to them and to all sorts of people around them. There are people in this room today that are barely scraping by uh, with, with finances. In this economy, this downturned economy, maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you're about to lose your job. Maybe you're barely able to. Make your, your house payment and your car payment and all your other bills. Maybe you're not making those and you've got creditors that are calling you on a daily basis and they're just about to take everything. If we're honest today, probably what I've said in just these last few scenarios has probably hit a lot of us in this room in one shape or another. You are either at this moment in the middle of suffering. Or you have come through some serious suffering in your life. Or there will come a day when you will head into a storm that is so dark and so harsh that if you're not prepared, if you're not clinging to the God who will never let go of you, and you will think you will never make it. I want to finish reading to you the passage that I started with this morning. Psalm 66. Let me just start where I started. Let's pick up in verse 8. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our, our feet slip? But look where it turns. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. 
You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. See, it's easy to just stop with the first couple of verses. Praise God, all the people. He's not let our feet slip. But some of you probably, when I was reading that at the beginning of the service, thought, but I don't necessarily feel that way. I feel like my feet have slipped. I feel like I'm flat on my back and that God is nowhere to be seen. And he doesn't care anymore. And you wonder, what is he doing? Let's, let's be real. If, if part of our vision as a church is to be real, then let's be real about sometimes the way that we feel and the questions that we, in our humanity, not yet fully sanctified, actually feel about what God is doing in our lives. Sometimes life gets really hard. And if God is sovereign, then what's going on? The reality is, Ashley is exactly right. We can thank God that he is sovereign. And through whatever comes our way, he has deemed it to be necessary for us. And that he is loving us faithfully through it. I want to show you, I, I don't want to answer the question of why do we suffer? The short answer to that is because we live in a world that still has the imprint of sin all over it. We're not there yet. This world has not been redeemed yet. The new Jerusalem has not yet come. We live in this world who has the residual effects of sin everywhere around us. That's why we see tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes and tsunamis. That's why we see cancer and back surgery and all sorts of other things. That's why we see famine. That's why we see people dying of AIDS at rampant numbers in Africa. That's why we see people in different parts of the world who are dying, children dying of things like diarrhea. And it can be prevented so easily. There's coming a day when all of that will be eradicated. It will be wiped away. But for now, we're there. And the answer for why we suffer is largely because God's not through yet. And that should give you hope. But I don't want to spend much time on the why, because the why, while it is helpful for you in the midst of your suffering, I think maybe a better question that you're asking is, God, if you are sovereign, if you are up to something, what in the world are you doing? What are, you, what are you doing, God? And I want to show you over these next couple or three messages what God is doing. It's not so important that we know why as much as it is that we know what. If Romans 8.28 is true, and it is, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. If that's true, and it is then we need to look at, then what is God doing? What is he doing in the midst of it? Um, the first thing, I've got nine of these. As I said, nine. Uh, we're not going to do all nine today. Uh, we'll do about three or four today. Okay, that should give you hope. All right. So let's, let's look at the first one. The first one is, what is God doing in the midst of this suffering? First off, God is testing sometimes our faith. He tests our faith. 
And I want to take you to uh, the book of Genesis, to Genesis 22. Uh, and I won't read the whole passage. I'm going to walk through it. I'm going to tell you the story today. It's it's based straight out of this. Uh, but unless, you know, unless you think I'm one of those preachers that uh, simply opens the Bible and then goes somewhere else, um, I don't normally do that. I, I want you to know that I'm preaching from the word of God. But this, the story here is not really a story as much as it is an actual event. It's the account of when God instructed Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. You think, why in the world would, would God do this? Imagine how difficult this must have been for Abraham to sacrifice, to kill his own son. I mean, think about it. Put yourself there. Don't forget. Don't ever, don't ever get so comfortable with, with the Bible that you think that these people that are written about are simply made up characters. These were real people. They may have lived in a different time than you and I. They may have lived in a different place than you and I. But they are real nonetheless. And they feel and think a lot of the same way that you feel and think. Abraham here, instructed by God, go and sacrifice. Go and kill your only son, Isaac. Think about how hard that would have been for him. Abraham waited a hundred years for Isaac. The Bible says that he was 100 years old when Isaac was born. I mean, that's a miracle in itself. At some point between, you know, between 18 and 100, you begin to think it ain't going to happen. Right. I mean, it's just not going to happen. I'm not going to have children, not going to have a son. My family name will apparently die with me. But then God comes to him when he's 99 years old and says, I'm going to give you a son. Your wife, Sarah, who's 90, by the way, she'll conceive and she'll bear a son. And now this one that he's waited a hundred years for, God is telling him to kill. Not only that, but now that he's been born and as obviously he's spent years with him, because in a minute we're going to see that Isaac is old enough to carry the wood. He's come to love him. He loves him deeply. He loves his son. And what God is asking him to do is. Is is so contrary to what a father would do. Do to his son. And Abraham must have thought, God, why would you ask me to do such a thing? God, you've never asked for any type of child sacrifice, let alone my son. God, why? In the midst of this, we see that. Abraham doesn't hesitate. He doesn't he doesn't hesitate at all. In fact, the scripture picks up and says that the very next day that Abraham rose early in the morning, that he saddled his donkey, brought his men along, he brought the supplies, he loaded the wood, he loaded the the, the knife, he loaded the fire, he loaded everything, and he set off for wherever God would show him. It's almost immediate. Just in the same way that we see Job, as we looked on the screens earlier, when all had been taken away from Job, Job didn't throw a pity party, but instead Job rose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and bowed on his face and worshipped his God. We see the faith here of Abraham just coming out quickly, coming out boldly. He rises, he saddles his donkey, he cuts the wood, he sets out to obey God. 
He says to his servants when they get to the place, his faith speaks loudly. And he says to them, I and the boy will go over there and worship and we will both come again to you. Now, wait a minute. God had just told him, Abraham, go kill your son. So why why does he here say we're both coming back to you? It's a clue that Abraham knew the character of God and knew the promise of God and knew that God had said that from Isaac, he would be the father of many nations. And that Abraham here is displaying for us this bold faith that says, even if I slay him, even if God allows me to go through with this, even if God has to raise him from the dead. He's coming back with me. And he believed and he trusted God. Isaac, along the way, now this would this would tear your heart out. But along the way, as they're walking to this place and Isaac knows enough to know they're going to sacrifice. And he, Isaac looks around and he says, uh, Dad, I see the, the wood. I see the, the knife and I see the flame. But uh, Dad, where's the lamb? Can you imagine what that would do to the heart of his father? And Abraham, his faith comes out once more and he says, my son, God will provide. God will provide for him the lamb. Abraham, knowing that his son may very well be the lamb. Abraham gets to that place and the Bible says that he builds the altar and he 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 binds his son and he takes Isaac and he lays Isaac on the altar. And he takes that knife and he raises it in the air. And he is prepared from that point to plunge the knife into his son's chest. How? I mean, I don't understand this. I read this and I think, as a father, how could a father do this? This is abnormal. This is not not what you would think of God asking you. Aren't you, aren't you glad that this is not prescriptive for all of us? Aren't you glad that God didn't tell us all to sacrifice our sons? But I look at the faith here of Abraham and the faith is amazing. It's not that Abraham is callous and cold and doesn't care about his son, that he's abusive and he's sadistic and and, and he just is going to take some pleasure from this. This is going to rip his heart out. But he's prepared to do it. Why? Because he trusts the heart of his God. He knows the ability. He knows the faithfulness of his God. And he knows. God's already said that through Isaac, I would become the father of many nations. So even if I do slay my son here today, God has the power to raise him from the dead. And I will trust him all the way through. And it's in the middle of him with a knife in the air, Isaac on the altar, that the angel speaks to him and says, Abraham, Abraham, stop. Don't touch him. Don't lay a hand on him. For now I know that you fear me and you love me above everything else. And behind Abraham, there was a ram that was caught in the thicket. And Abraham's words proved to be true. That God would provide. That God would give the lamb for the sacrifice. I want to ask you this morning this. As we look at the the life of Abraham and the story here of him having to sacrifice Isaac, probably the hardest 
thing that it, God had ever asked anyone to do. Would you be willing to trust God? With whatever God asks you to do. If God asked you to put your son on the altar and sacrifice him, would you do it? And could you do it? It could be. It very well could be that God is asking some of you to do something difficult, something so incredibly difficult that it seems insane. I mean, this must have seemed insane. I mean, where was Sarah in the midst of this? This must have seemed just incredibly crazy to Sarah. She laughed at the news when the angel said that, that she was going to have a baby. And now that she had one, God wants them to kill him. It must have seemed crazy. And maybe, maybe, listen to me, maybe God is asking you to do something that is so difficult that it seems crazy too. Maybe God is doing something. He's asking you to, to walk away from a, a family member or a friend that you're enabling. I'm not talking about a spouse walking out on a spouse. I'm talking about maybe there's someone in your family that you're enabling. I watched. Let me just, let me just be transparent and be open and vulnerable with you for just a little bit. I watched my, my parents for years enable my sister. My sister um, grew up in the same home that I did. Grew up going to the same church I did, went to the same GAs. I didn't go to GAs, I went to RAs. That would have been a little weird if I would have gone to GAs. But she went to the same church, same VBS, went to the same youth group, um, all, this, all this stuff. Went to Carson Newman College, graduated there with honors. Very, very, very bright. But when she was in high school, when she was 16, had a car accident and, uh, and fractured her back. Not severely, but fractured it enough to where she had to be prescribed um, uh, hydrocodone. And um, when she was prescribed this, it, it developed an addiction in her life that has lasted all of these years. My sister this year will turn 41 years old. Um, and she has been held sway, held captive to this for all of these years. And my heart goes out to those of you who are struggling with addiction. But my heart also goes out to, the, to you that... Um, have are the family members or the parents or the siblings of someone who is struggling with addiction. And um, I watched my, my mom and dad for years, have, have watched them for years, and they finally kind of come to the place where they they've released her and let her go. But for years they would bail her out. They would they would enable her. She's been to jail multiple times. They they pay fines and and they pay bills and, and all this sort of thing. And they would lie for her and cover up for her. And it got to the point where we didn't want to go. We didn't want to go to mom and dad's with our kids. Uh, because it was just awful every time we went. I was screaming and cursing, and my sister was, was drunk in the back bedroom and all this sort of thing, and, and we, didn't, we didn't want to go through it. And I would plead with my mom and dad, Mom and dad, give her just really tough love. I mean, love her, but love her the way she needs to be loved. Let her feel her consequences. Let her experience those. And it could be that in this room, God is instructing you, to lay your son or daughter or mom or dad or brother or sister or whoever it is on the altar and, and let God have them. It could be that he's asking you to, to slay them and give them over to him. Because all you're doing is enabling them. It could be that today God is maybe asking you to give your Isaac over to the Lord. Maybe in this room God is asking you to make some job decision that is just 
crazy that the people around you, that it's your wife or your family or people at your job now would say, you're nuts. I mean, you're giving up all this money for that. I'm not telling you to go out and do just whatever you feel led to or feel a whim to do. But God may be instructing you to take another route. God may be asking you to come clean about something in your past. That's hard, isn't it? Come clean. And you're arguing with God and you say, God, you you don't know, God, what that would do. I mean, they would turn on me, God. I don't want anyone to know that. God, I'm. I'm doing well now. I've, I've turned from my past. And God, I, you, by your grace, you've brought me to where I am. But God, I don't want to go back and relive that. And I'm not telling you today that that's what God's telling you to do. But some of you right now, you know that's what God's telling you to do. You know God's instructing you to come clean about something in the past because it has bothered you for years. And you've maybe been honest before God, but you've not been honest before your brothers and sisters. You've not been honest with your family. And it is a stronghold over you. Maybe God's asking you to, regardless of the cost, lay it on the altar. Maybe God is asking you to confront someone with the gospel. Maybe there's that person at work that you think, there's no way. I mean, God, I know you're powerful and all, but there's no way. They would never, they would never come to Christ. They would never come to you, God. And you have presumed to be sovereign over their life. And maybe God is asking you to be the one that goes to that person because everybody else in your office or everybody else in your workplace or everybody else on your street is too afraid and they're all thinking the same thing. And God wants you to put yourself on the altar and go. What is it that God is asking you to do that seems so incredibly crazy? What God's doing in the midst of a lot of suffering is he's testing your faith. Will you believe him? Will you worship him regardless of the cost? If it means laying your son on the altar, your daughter on the altar, your job on the altar. Will you do it? Your reputation on the altar. Will you trust him regardless? Will you obey? You say, but why? Why, why, would, why would God test us like that? I mean, let's, let's go back to what you said, Scott. Scott, you said that God is sovereign. If he's sovereign, then obviously he's omniscient, right? I mean, he knows everything, right? So if God knows everything, then why does he have to test us? Why does he have to test us to find out the strength of our faith? Why did the angel say to Abraham, now I know that you fear me? You want to know the reason? The answer to that question is God doesn't test you so that he can find out the strength of your faith. Because God is omniscient and he knows the strength or the weakness of your faith. But God will test us so that we know. He's gracious in doing that. He's gracious in doing that because when you come through a severe trial, a severe test, and God says, will you obey me or will you be afraid of the consequences? And we 
fear God more than we fear man and we do what he's calling us to do, then all that does is bolster our confidence in him for future trials and suffering. If we're weak and we fail the test, which if we're honest, most of us do on a regular basis. And what it does is it pushes us. If we're in the context of a the faith family and we use that, we use that unapologetically. We want you to know that if you're here at Abner Creek, that we consider this to be more than a congregation, more than a church body. Those are all good and well, nothing wrong with those. But we want you to know that you are part of a faith family here where we love one another. And if you fail a test of faith and you're in in the context of people, a family that loves you and supports you, what it does is it drives you to reach out to them and reach out to God and to grow in your walk with him. God is testing us not for his own knowledge but for ours. Will you, will you trust him in the middle of whatever it is that he's taking you through, that he's asking you to do? Some of you right now, just this is off my notes, but I just have to add this. Some of you are thinking, God didn't ask me to do anything. And this just happened to me. I didn't get a choice in the matter. I would remind you that even in the midst of that, that God is sovereign That he loves you more than you could ever love yourself. That he loves you more than we could ever love you. Loves you more than anybody could ever love you. He knows what is best. And he is taking you somewhere that you could never, you would never go. You would never go. You'd want to go. All my life I've wanted to go to Hawaii. I'll just put that out there. In case I'm here like, you know, 20 years or so. And somebody says, you know, hey, we want to do something with the pastor. Trip to Hawaii would be nice. But uh, I've always wanted to go to Hawaii. Shameless, right? Um, I've always wanted to go, but I never put down the cash. I never was willing to pay the price. And there's some things in your life that you'd say, boy, I, I want to be like Christ. I want to have faith like that. I want to love people the way God loves people. I want to obey God, the way Jesus obeyed God. But you'll never put down the cash. You'll never be willing to pay the price on your own accord. And sometimes, sometimes God gives you the choice. And other times, being sovereign, he does what he wants to do. I'll only get to one more this morning. God sometimes tests us in suffering But sometimes God uses suffering to make us humble. God sometimes uses suffering to make us humble. Turn, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Second Corinthians chapter 12. Beginning in in verse seven. Verse 7, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, 
For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. If anybody could boast, don't you think it'd be the Apostle Paul? I mean, think about his life. If you take your Bible right now and you look at your New Testament, the back half of your Bible, out of those 27 books there in in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul wrote 13 of them. You ever written one? It's not one person in here has ever come close to writing anything that would be included in the, the, the book of Scripture. Paul wrote the majority of our New Testament. I, mean, I think that gives him right to boast, don't you? Not only that, but he led missionary journeys and started churches on in more places than she and I had probably ever traveled to. Not only that, the Bible says here, and this is what he's referring to in this in the context here, that Paul went to heaven. You ever been to heaven? And I don't mean like a really good vacation. Everything was perfect. It was just heaven. I mean, he went to heaven. He refers to it as the third heaven, which is a way of saying that not just the atmosphere where you and I breathe air, not just the place where the, the planets and the stars are, but he went to the realm where God lives. He's hesitant to use his own name. He says, I know a man who went there. Don't you think if if you had written over half of the or about half of the New Testament and and you had planted churches in all these places and and you had uh, had been to heaven and back. Don't you think that gives you a right to boast? You know, you ever known somebody that always has a better story? If the person who always has a better story interrupts Paul, there should be a resounding shut up. Because Paul has the right to boast, but he refuses to. He rejects it. He says, no, he will not boast. In the midst of this, he gives us a clue as to why. He says here that a messenger of Satan was given to him, that a thorn was given to him in his flesh. Now, we don't know what this is. There's been all sorts of speculation. Some think that that this thorn in the flesh was some type of physical disease. Some think that it was that, that he couldn't see real well, that he might have he might have even been blind. Some say that that because this is said to be a messenger of Satan and that word that's used there for messenger is always referring to a person. Some have concluded that this is a particular individual in the church in Corinth that has just given him fits. And I've been there. I've had those people sometimes. Okay, it could be, but we don't know. I mean, it it could have been could have been bad breath. You know, it it could have been, you know, B.O. We don't we don't know what it is. Right. We don't know. And that's not the point. The point is not for us to know what it is. The point is to know why God gives it to him. God gives it to him, he says, to keep him from becoming conceited. Paul prays here three times, three times he prays desperately. And who knows? I mean, maybe he lost count. Maybe it was more than that, but he prays. God, would you please remove this from me? And the answer he gets is no. No, Paul, no. My grace is sufficient for you. And God told him, 
My power is perfected in weakness. And Paul had to learn this lesson. Paul's like you and I. He could have become conceited very, very easily. God gave him this to to keep him from boasting. Uh, Very quickly, it's been, uh, I guess, this Thanksgiving. I think it'll be three years ago. Um, It was on Thanksgiving morning. Uh, Matt Chandler, who is a pastor in um, in Texas at the Village Church in Texas, went there to be their pastor. And they were at that point the uh, the First Baptist Church of Highland Village, Texas. And when he went to be their pastor, there was they were running about 170 people on Sunday morning. And within about six or seven years or, or so, they they jumped and they went up to about six or seven thousand people. I mean, just enormous growth. And he was just being sought after to speak at conferences and, and, and write books and all this sort of thing. Just everywhere. He's never been to seminary. He has a, he has a, a Bible degree from, a, from undergraduate school, but, but nothing else. He's just, he could very easily become conceited. But three years ago, this Thanksgiving, on Thanksgiving morning, he was feeding his daughter, his infant daughter, a, a bottle. He turned, he put her back in the, in the, uh, the, the bouncy thing that hangs in the doorway. He turned to walk back to his chair, and on the way back to his chair, he had a grand mal seizure. He'd never had anything like that before, but very, very, very violent. Very, very, very violent. The um, EMTs came. They, they, they put him on the stretcher. Um, they took him to the hospital. They did all the diagnosis, and the news came back very, very bad. He had a brain tumor that was already very large and that they were going to have to do surgery right away. And the people who have this particular type of cancer, uh, their life expectancy is only two or three years. We're coming up on three years. Um, He doesn't know if, if they go in and take out this massive part of his brain that he'll be able to speak again. I mean, he's a pastor, he's, he's, he's a preacher. What, what will he do? They go in, they do surgery, and um, throughout the whole thing, throughout the whole thing, his faith was incredible. He, uh, he trusted the Lord through the whole thing. And here we are on the end of this now. And long story short, God took him through this brought him back to the pulpit. He's preaching on a regular basis, preaching like a madman today. But he always lives with this thorn in his flesh now to keep him humble. He doesn't know if he's got today, if he's got six months, if he's got another 60 years. He doesn't know. He's my age, by the way. He and I are the exact same age. He will always have this. If anybody could, could have boasted before this, Really, even now, if anybody could boast, Matt Chandler could boast. But I think God was gracious enough to give him this thorn in the flesh so that he would always be reminded that not to count on his own strength, but to lean on his God. And some of you right now are going through something extremely hard. And there's this ailment that you have. It's, you suffer with this on a daily basis. And you pray, God, would you take this away from me? And God seems to say, no, no. No. Could be that God is being gracious to you. God wants you to remember that there is nothing in you that is good. That God wants to do all sorts of good things through you. But your your ability at success, your 
your strength, your claim to fame will be him and him alone. God loves you, but he also loves his name and he will not share his glory with anyone. And when you and I, when you and I trust ourselves and begin to get too confident in ourselves, God, it sometimes will inflict us, the thorn in the flesh, messenger of Satan. Sometimes there will be things that will come into our life that God could have prevented, could have stopped, but he didn't. This is Matt Chandler's stance is that God could have stopped this cancer from growing in his brain, but he didn't. He allowed it and therefore he will embrace it as good from God. Maybe there's something in your life right now that you hate. But it keeps you from trusting in yourself too much. I don't know what it is. Maybe God is teaching you to rely on himself. Maybe you are learning that when you are weak, God is strong. God loves you in his glory enough that he will sometimes inflict or wound you, allow you to be tormented so that you learn to trust his strength and not your own. He could simply I wrote this. I want you to hear this. He could simply crush you. When you and I. When you and I begin to trust ourselves and our power and our ability more than we trust him, you realize that God in that moment could simply just crush us. He could. See Ananias and Sapphira. On the spot, dead. But God sometimes graciously wounds you. So that he doesn't have to crush you. About as far as we can get today. But some of you in this room, and I don't pretend to know everything that's going on in this room, but I know from that list I, I listed earlier, I know that there's people all in those situations and there may be a situation, circumstance that I did not name. And today, just just two things that we see God doing. Maybe God today is testing your faith and saying to you, will you embrace it as good and believe me regardless or maybe you need to embrace it and say, God, I still don't like it. It still bothers me. God, if I'm honest, I hate it. And I long for the day that it'll be gone. But God, for right now, I'm going to embrace it so that I don't lean on myself, but I continue to lean on you. Maybe that's what God's calling you to today. I want to invite you as Ethan comes in just a minute. I'm going to pray and Ethan's going to lead us to Reflect and respond on what we've heard. It's not really a salvation message, not really a gospel message. If you're here today and and you know you need to be saved, then I'll be here at the front and I would love to to help you to follow Christ or give your life to him. But probably in this room, there are people all over the room that God's just really got a hold of you today. And maybe you just need to come and you just need to pour yourself out before him. You just need to kneel across these steps and pray. The altar is open for that. The front is open for that. If you need me to pray with you, um, I use that word need loosely because you don't need me to pray with you. If you are a Christian, you have a direct line to God just like I do. Come boldly before his throne. But if you'd like for me to pray with you, I'd love to pray with you. If today you're here and you say, this is the church where I would like to join. I want to be a member of this church and serve God and his kingdom through this very church. Then I'll be here for that. But whatever it is that God is instructing and inviting you to this morning, don't walk out of here and harden your heart. God's sovereign. 
Don't walk out of here and harden your heart. Instead, humble yourself before him. Ethan, you come lead us. Lord Jesus, we love you. God, I pray that you would indeed, Lord, draw us to yourself. God, use whatever you will. God, use suffering in our lives. Well, we don't want to experience suffering, but God, I pray that, Lord, that you would indeed use suffering, God, if that's your will, to bring the best out for us, to make us like your son. God, for those in the room today that are really struggling, God, I pray that they would turn to you, God, that they would pour themselves out to you today. God, they would cast themselves on you and find them, find that you are merciful and good. God, I pray that whatever you want to do in this place and beyond this place in my life, God, that you would do whatever you will. Lord, help us to not get conceited and trust in our own strength, but God, help us to boldly, daringly trust you and to know that we need you more than anything. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.